So I want you to think about this because I've heard that statement for years. You know, people saying, well, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Joey, I want to go back to work. I want to go back to life. Joey, I want my kids to go back to school. (sighs) I want to be happy. So what would it take to make you completely happy? If you arrive to where you're going, are you going to be happy when you get there? Most people get what they want, and then they do not want what they got. So today, let's begin an adventure into the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. His name is Jesus Christ. He's from Nazareth. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitude. I call it the attitude to be. And the, the attitude to be, you got to say it with a little swag. You got to give it a little with a little attitude. This is the attitude to be. This is God's blueprint for a successful life. These are God-given principles that will cure your home and your marriage and your life in this day of quarantine and the life that's going to come after quarantine. Because the facts are in. Jesus Christ is in the happiness business. Now think about this. He ordained happiness by performing his first miracle at the wedding feast of Canaan in Galilee. And he was criticized by the religious stuff shirts of his day, the Pharisees, for being too happy. And the fact is, if you claim to be a Christian and you are not happy, you are not like Jesus. If you have enough religion on you that has a face looking like a poison bulldog baptized in lemon juice, take a close up. Let me show you how you look. You are not a good advertisement in the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you, it was Christ who gave us three cheers. And he didn't give us three cheers from the tavern. He gave it to us from the tabernacle. That was the house of God. He said, be of good cheer, I've overcame the world. Be of good cheer, your sins, your past, it's forgiven. Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. When the angels sang over Bethlehem's manger, remember the song that they sang, joy to the world, the Lord has come. In the closing picture in the book of Revelation, the church is standing by the sea of glass, singing in victory and singing in triumph. Friends, the gospel begins with a song and it ends with a song. Yes, Christianity has its discipline. Yes, we have uncharted waters. God did not promise a smooth sailing, but he did promise us a safe landing. And in life, you have to choose to be happy. You have to choose to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You have to choose what you become. Some people, if they had it all and they had all the wealth of the world and all the content things of life, if everything was given to them, they would still be as desperate as a stowaway on a kamikaze airplane. That's desperation, my friend. So let's think about this because in Matthew 5, keep your Bible open there, something interesting happens. Jesus is really asking a question to us all, even in the 21st century, what do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? Many things, when crisis comes, we start to reevaluate and we start to look at things with a different perspective. But if we really were honest and simplified it, we would say, I just want to be happy. I want to go back to the things that made me joyful and made me happy. But what is happiness to you? If I could sit down one-on-one in your couch right now, I would probably have to remove the breadcrumbs, all the crackers, all the stuff you've been eating. I'd have to like sweep it out. I'd have to maybe get the shop back out because you just kind of cluttered up. You really should clean your house, by the way. I'm seeing that prophetically. You know, it's pretty messy. If I could sit down with you, I'd say, what would it take to make you completely happy? Could you really tell me, are you really happy? If so, why? If not, why not? 
What change in your life would make you completely happy? If you arrive to where you're going, are you going to be happy when you get there? It's been said, you got to look at others, how they climb the ladder to success and realize the ladder of success was leaning on the wrong wall. Often we have friends and family members, when we get into a crisis like this, they get so unhappy, they get so unfulfilled, and they start manifesting their unhappiness. And then we try to step in and create some type of happiness for them by sharing scriptures or sharing certain things. But understand, you cannot give what you do not have. Happiness is really an inside story, not because of a quarantine. It's what's inside of us. It's never a position that makes you happy. It's your disposition that makes you happy. It's what's inside of you that makes you happy. It's not where you are that makes you happy. It's what you are that makes us happy. It's important to know because the Apostle Paul was happier singing, a jail, singing at the jail at Philippi in the midnight hour than many of God's children being told to stay indoors. Many of God's children are being told, hey, you can't go out right now. We're trying to fix this global virus that's there. And, and I have my thoughts on it. I might share with you tomorrow how I think this thing is sent from hell itself and, and, why a, a, and why a regime sent this from hell. I might give you some conspiracy theories that tickle your prophetic ear. I might just go there tomorrow. You never know. But I think there's something so important about, about establishing a core value as a Christian about what's going to move me. The world can't move me. Situations and circumstances shouldn't move me, but the word of God should always be the compass of my soul. So it's never where we are, but it's what we are. Isn't it Paul and Silas in the jail at Philippi singing in the midnight hour with their back split wide open? And many Christians can't sing in an air-conditioned room in their own home because they've got too much stuff before them. So it's never where we are, but it's what we are. Can I get a big amen? Remember, not prayer hands, but praise hands. Let them loose today because something inside us says, I'm going to be happy in spite of what I'm going through. I want you to think about this because right now in Matthew 5, I think there's something really interesting for us today. The Bible says, look at it. It's in your Bible. It's in my Bible. The Bible says, and he, he looked there and he saw the multitudes. He, he x-rayed the lives of the people that were listening to him that day. And he's x-raying our lives today. The Bible says, and seeing the multitudes. What does that really mean? It means that Jesus looked upon the people as I'm looking at you today. And I can see what you're doing right now. You need to turn that other television off, by the way. That's not going to help you right now. How, how is the little tablet small television so big? Cut the TV off. The Jesus looks at the people that day with his omnipotent eye. And he x-rays their lives. And what began to happen, he saw the hurting. He saw the suffering. He, he saw their anxiety. He saw the fear. He saw the worry. He knew that there was a crisis coming. Panic had set in. And I have good news. The God of the universe, the one who knows us all by name, he can see your crisis today. The God who calls the stars by name and knows everyone, and he measures space with the span of his hand, that God knows exactly what you have need of today. The God who has numbered the hairs on your head. Notice I said your head, not mine. That's because you have hair and you're not good looking like me. But that God, he sees the crisis you're facing. He sees the sickness because he's the great physician. He sees the anxiety that you're going through right now because he's the prince of peace. He sees the marriage crisis. They've been a spike right now in domestic violence. And you know why? Because people are locked up together. 
That's why there's a crisis, because what's in you is coming out of you when you're locked into a quarantine environment. So God wants to quarantine you today and lock in his joy, lock in his peace. He sees the crisis. He sees the financial need. You're not to be worried what Wall Street does, what others do. You may be laid off, but that's when God kicks in and he starts to kick in and give you the best of things in the worst of times. He's never seen the righteous forsaken. God's never seen his children out begging for bread. What does that mean? That means God will provide for you. You should not worry when you serve a God that cannot fail. Why worry when you serve a God that says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why worry when the God of the universe has put creative power inside of you, Holy Ghost power, dunamis power, to give you everything you need, plus a godly, happy, joyful life? There's something about when you, when you surrender your will for God, I talked about that last Sunday, that explodes with potential. I think that's important because for the next few moments, I just want to, let's take this thought a little deeper because the Bible says that Jesus, remember, stay open to Matthew 5, it says that he went up to a mountain. Do you know that the word of God has a message that principally comes from five different mountains? Why is that significant? Now, I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to slow this down, because the Bible is primarily a book that establishes its constitution, its bylaws, its governance, its power, its kingdom from five different mountains. Many of you have never been told that, nor have you been taught that, but I'm going to teach it to you today, because five biblically is significant. The number five in biblical uh, numbers means grace. Why does God tell us that he does significant things on these five different mountains? Because he wants to establish grace in us. He wants to establish a a side of us that we would realize that from these mountains, we can come up to the mountain that's higher than I. We can get into these strongholds, these towers, if you will. The righteous can run into it and are safe. So let's look at those five mountains this morning. The first mountain is Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments were not Ten Recommendations. They were not Ten Suggestions. It was not the law of Moses. Many people misinterpret that. It was the law of God given through Moses. Those Ten Commandments were the governance of a civil society. If every Christian took the Ten Commandments, not by the law of the land, but by the Spirit of God, their life would be renewed. It would be refreshed. It would be healed. Look at what we've done in America when we throw those Ten Commandments out. They threw them out of public schools in the 1960s. Some of you remember when they had prayer in school. They threw them out because they said it was a a source of moral guidance. Moral guidance? Now public schools are are blackboard jungles. I'm waiting for my kids to go back to school in that jungle. And I'm going to play that old old song by that rocker. Welcome to the jungle. I'm going to say, go back in because they've been home too long. I feel for every parent that has to homeschool their children. What do you think we take them to school for? We don't know how to homeschool. I have news for you, education department. We don't know how to homeschool. That's another message for another day. But they threw out those Ten Commandments. Where was I with that message? I don't know. But I just, I just think that there's something so important about these mountains. The, the God's mountain was the Ten Commandments. That was the society that God was to establish. Now think about this for a moment. Every time a civilization, a society, a family, an individual takes that civil obedience test, if you will, and governs their life off ten 
suggestions, no, Ten Commandments of God. Their life, their home, their nation will fall right in line with the power and the spirit of Almighty God. Now think about that. There's, there's the first mountain. Then there's another mountain. That mountain is Mount Calvary. The message, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do not forget, there is no other method that a man or a woman can be saved other than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What blood? Not the blood of rams and turtle doves. Not the 22,000 oxen that Solomon shed at the temple to dedicate it to God. What blood? The blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of this world. The blood that renews its power. The blood that you and I can come to that communion cup and be free and be whole. What blood? That blood that says, you come unto me and you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are healed. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Come on, help me sing it out at your homes today. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that no other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen wherever you're watching today? Remember, never prayer hands, praise hands, praise hands. Hey, there's another mountain it's the third mountain, and it's what I call the mountain of Zion. Zion means Jerusalem, and it's the symbol of the church. Remember, God called Jerusalem his firstborn child. He called Israel, I should say, his firstborn child. That's his first love. His, his firstborn child was Israel, where God gave that, that law, that civil commandment. God gave us the word of God, all through Jewish authors, all through Jewish hands. Now he talked about this mountain, and it's the mountain called Zion. It's the symbol of the church. Remember what God said to Abraham? He said, your descendants will be like the sands of the sea and the stars in the heavenlies. Sands represent earthly, natural. Stars represent heavenly, the Gentiles, the church. And the interesting part about that, friends, is that the Bible says as the mountains are around Jerusalem, if you've ever gone to Jerusalem, it's up high on a mountain. you got to take a trek up to the mountaintop of Jerusalem. As the mountains are around Jerusalem, so is the Lord around his people. What's the message? The message is you are absolutely secure. You are in the hand of God, and no one can take you out of the hand of God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The storms of life, they shall not conquer you. You are in the mighty hand of God, and as the mountains are around Jerusalem, so are you secure. His angels are encamped about you to, with their swords drawn to defend you. Think about that. Everywhere the president goes, he has to have two secret servant agents at least with him at all times with their guns cocked and loaded, ready to protect and defend the president. But every child of God, every son, every daughter, every young, every old that calls upon the name of Jesus has angels around them with their swords drawn. And you are the invincible host of heaven. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. How many of you know today our world may be shaken, but God is not? This world may be going through a crisis, but God's children are going to be safe in the arms of a loving Savior and a loving Father. That's why I recently have been reading these articles of, you know, like people scamming and, and they come to your door wanting money. You know, don't do it if these people call. And unfortunately, I saw some evangelical Christians on television, so-called Christians, trying to sell this type of solvent to heal, heal coronavirus. And it, it just really broke my heart. The, this, is a, this is an important fact because if 
if we're going to have a healing for any virus, you've got to call the right number. And what it said, it said, if you call this number, and they named the number, then we'll send you this healing bottle that will cure everything. It'll grow hair for us that don't have it, and it even will cure you of the coronavirus. But the problem with that, it was like snake oil. They, they didn't call the right number. As a matter of fact, they're even being sued as a result of, of false advertisement. So if you're going to look for a cure, you've got to call the right number. Can I encourage you today to dial the right number when it comes to a crisis? It's called 911. You need to call 911. It's found in Psalms 91.1. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God in whom that I trust. Surely He will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness will be my shield and my rampart. I'll not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence destroys at midday. Can you catch that? A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But you'll only see it with your eye. The punishment of the wicked, you'll see it only with your eye because you've made the most high your dwelling place. For no harm comes before thee, no disasters near thy dwelling. For he has commanded his angels to take charge of me and protect me in all of my ways. That's security only found in God. That's why King David said it so clearly. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want peace because he gives peace that surpasses understanding. I shall not need joy for any." In his presence, there's fullness of joy. I shall not need a friend, for he's a friend that sits closer than a brother. I shall not need love, for God is love. I shall not need prosperity, for he is the Lord that gives me power to get well. I shall not need healing, for by his stripes I am healed. For surely anything that I have, it's because of his goodness and his mercy. It follows me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell into the house of the Lord forever and forever and forever and forever. Come on. Let's give God a shout of praise in that house where you're at today. There's another mountain. It's the fourth mountain, and it's the Mount of Olives. Now, remember, five is the number of grace in the biblical understanding. The fourth mountain is the Mount of Olives, and it's where Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. What's the message? The message is there's going to be a resurrection day. Hallelujah. Because he lives, we shall also live. There's eternal life for a believer. I read years ago where many people pay a scientist X amount of millions of dollars to have their body frozen by science. So when science creates a cure for the disease that they have, they can be unthawed and maybe perhaps live an extended life. I have a better deal. My deal is steadfast and sure. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get saved. Give your life over to him. Get baptized. And you'll have a mansion thrown in on the hills of glory. And God gives it to his children, to those that love him. There's eternal life for every believer. Then there's the fifth mountain. It's the mountain that's called the Temple Mount. Now, this one's very important. It's where Christ will rule and reign forever and forever. I have great news. I have wonderful news. The news that I'm giving you is not going to be found on the talking heads of CNN crazy people. The news that I'm talking about certainly won't be found on MSNBC or any other Fox News affiliates. The news that I'm talking about comes from Jerusalem. It's heavenly news. And the news is not from an earth 
earthly Jerusalem. It's from the kingdom of our God. And our king is coming back to this earth with power and great glory. This mountain is the temple mount. It's where Christ shall come down and establish a new Jerusalem from heaven. And he'll establish it on this earth. He'll come through that Kidron gate. He'll split that eastern valley. He'll come through and sit on that Mount of Olives. He'll walk through that valley and it will split in two and he will sit upon the throne of his father David. Oh, I feel the anointing. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Remember, when he came the first time, he was the baby in Bethlehem's manger. But when he comes back again, he's coming as king of all kings and lord of all lords. Hallelujah. Our God is good like that. I need you to understand today this world is in chaos and you and I are to be at peace. We are to be happy, joyful people. Look at verse 3 there, the third phrase. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, it says when he sat down. It's almost like, you know, when you're, a, when, you're a, when you're an OG, a boss, you know, you're just sitting down. He sat down to speak to the people that day, not because he was tired. I've heard commentaries teach that, well, he, he walked from Caperna. But Caperna is only four to 500 yards away where those attitudes were talked about. We went there last year. And people say, well, he, he sat down because he was tired. That's not true. Some would say, well, he sat down because rabbis in those days sit down and teach. That's true to an extent, but that's not the answer in this text. He sat down because he's a king, and he was going to talk about the Constitution and the bylaws represented in the kingdom of God. We say those Constitution and bylaws every time we say the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And the scriptures say, of his kingdom there shall be no end. And it began that day right there on the slopes by the Sea of Galilee, and it will never end. Now think about this. Every other kingdom, Rome, England, America, will perish. But the kingdom of God will never perish because the king, he's eternal. He's all-knowing, he's almighty, and he's all-powerful. He also sat down because he was a judge. When a judge comes into the courtroom, some of you have been arrested. We're not going to go there, but you've been in trouble. And when a judge comes into the courtroom, what happens? All rise. You stand up. The judge comes in and sits down. Jesus was on the slopes by the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't saying, guys, let's make a deal. If you serve me, I'll give this to you, and you'll see everything will be okay. And then we're going to sing, I can, I can imagine. We're going to sing that, that John Lennon communist song, Imagine. No, no. He's saying, this is the deal. If you want happiness, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed, blessed, blessed. If you'll do these things, you'll have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Then the Bible says something strange. It says, then he opened up his mouth and he taught them. And the shallow-minded say, well, how could he teach anybody without opening up his mouth? But this is the Greek utterance. This is the literal Greek phrase of the era means he removed the curb from his tongue. Jesus sat down that day and he removed the curb from his tongue. Do you know there were four groups of people listening to him that day? Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians, Romans, all wanting to hear something different out of the mouth of the carpenter from Calvary. As a matter of fact, he knew when he opened up his mouth, he was going to make somebody mad. But he removed the curb from his tongue. He spoke with power. He spoke fearlessly, and he spoke with authority. You see, that's the greatest need for God's children this day and age is to speak the truth of God in love without a curb around their tongue. 
To speak the kingdom. To speak those things that are not as though they are. To speak the good things of God. Not speak in melee and horrendous things or this might happen and what if this could happen and I need to delay because of this and I don't need to do because of that. But to speak the truth in love without a curb around their tongue. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. It's time for the church to rise up and speak up in such a time as this for people to understand that we're not like this world. We may be in it but we are not of it. We remove the curb of our tongue of what the society says, what this old world says, and we say the kingdom of God, it manifests, and it comes today, and it comes now through me and the authority of Jesus' name. Without that curb around the tongue. Now in closing, which means you can go to the fridge and get a drink. You're cool. Get yourself something to drink. Come on back. Just real quick, though, just keep listening. Go get something to drink. Get yourself, take a deep breath, take a deep breath. And let's, let's close our time. Pastor Tyon comes with those amazing red shoes, and he comes. He wears so small, minor 12s. I can't take them, but if I could, I would like to wear them someday. But I think there's something so important about the word blessed. Let's say that out loud, blessed. Now I want you to type it there, those of you that are watching. Type out the word blessed. Type it out one more time, blessed. Type it out one more time, blessed. You and I are blessed. Jesus opens up the sermon with the words blessed, happy. We are blessed people. Now think about this this morning. In the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, it's the book of Malachi. It's where the, the famous preachers get Malachi chapter 3, you know, tithes, offerings, don't, you know, you're going to rebuke the devourer. But Malachi, the last words in Malachi, the word cursed is there. Interesting that that last phrase in the last book of the Old Testament, now remember, the canon of Scripture was all inspired of God. God wrote every word in these, and from cover to cover. And the last word in the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament, the word cursed is there. That's interesting to me. Because the first words that pour out of the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 are blessed, happy. But what I'm talking about this morning causes a chain of miracles, a chain of priceless pearls that are put together by our Creator. Remember back in the day they used to have prayer chains when you would call and you would call your brother, you'd call your sister, and you'd have a prayer chain. And this is a chain of miracles that come one after another and after another. I want you to think about that because these are put together by our Creator that makes our hearts sing with joy and peace that surpasses understanding. Now look at your Bible and observe carefully as you read down how one beatitude rises above the next. The first leads to the second and the second to the third. The third is not as elevated as the seventh and the seventh is not, is, 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 and the first is not as elevated as the third. You know, the seventh beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you know you can't be a peacemaker until you're first pure at heart? If your heart is not pure, you could be a gossip and a hell raiser, but you will not be a peacemaker. Notice in every case, it says it there in your Bible. I'm not making this up. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Not blessed shall you be someday. But what's the message? Happiness is for right now. It's for right now. You say, Joey, what we're going through as a nation, what we're going through as a family, what I'm going through with my job, I've lost my job. Yes, happiness is for right now. And so many times we postpone it because we say, I'll be happy when. 
I'll be happy when I get back to work. You're going to have to leave your house. You've got used to being at home now. What are you going to do now when you have to go back to work and show up on time and move around for eight hours? You've got used to just going from like chair, fridge, fridge, chair. You've got used to like just being there. What are you going to do? You say, well, I'll be happy when I get married. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Good for you. You say, well, I'll be happy when I get to retire. But mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I'll be happy when, when I get back to society, when I get back to life. I'll be happy when I lose this weight and I'll be happy. Now I got quarantine weight to lose. I was carrying holiday weight. Now I've got quarantine weight. <laughs> Hashtag. Uh, true happiness is wrapped in the word blessed. You are blessed. The word blessed means to be called, to be chosen, to be anointed, to be loved, to be cherished by God, to prosper in every area of your life. How many of you all want that? Then you need to learn God's principles and it will happen for you. The man or woman who's watching today and says, Joey, I love everything you're saying, buddy, but I want a happiness that's crisis proof, that's quarantine and, and plague proof. I want a happiness that is not here today and gone tomorrow. I want happiness that withstands the storms the beatitudes give it and let me tell you how do you know the english word happiness that you and i talk about comes from the old english word hap where we get chance our happenstance so the obvious language that we understand happiness is is based upon chance or what happens to you so as a result of that type of happiness, many people don't qualify for happiness because they're not continually having good circumstances. In other words, circumstances are not what they need to be. So they can't be happy because of circumstance. How many of you see that? Because when you and I think of the word happiness, it's based upon the old English word hap, where we get chance, happenstance. So we think in terms of, I can only be happy based upon what I'm going through. I can only be good based upon what I'm going through. When my body's healthy, when all my kids are doing good, when I have money and I have a job and everything's going well and, and nothing like this is happening in our society, Joey, I'm scared, I'm fearful. But when you open the Word of God, the old English word is not there of happenstance. It's makarios. It means to be blessed in every area of your life, regardless of what happens. The message is clear. God's happiness is not dependent on what happens to you. God's happiness is there in spite of what happens to you. The message is his happiness doesn't depend on what happens. His happiness is there regardless of what happens. It's there through the storms of life. It's there through the pain of a divorce. It's there through the storms, through the virus, through the flood, through the adversity. His happiness will be there and it's rock solid and it will not fail you. Just take a moment and worship all over your home right now. Just take a moment and worship. Just take a moment and worship. All there, wherever you're watching, just take a moment and worship. Father, we love you. We worship you. Lord, we're going to be happy and content no matter what we're going through. Let the Spirit of God permeate that home right now. Wherever you're watching today, let it flow through you and in you right now. Let healing flow in you right now. What does it mean? It means those who are broken in spirit, those who are not driven by anything of this world, 
The Bible says in Isaiah 66 too, on this man or woman will I look, one who is of a broken and a contrite spirit. God does not despise a broken and a contrite spirit, but he despises a proud one. Happy is the man or a woman. They're like a little child. They're teachable. They're ready to learn. They're willing to change. Jesus said, unless you and I become as little children, there's no way we can inherit the kingdom of God. Happy are those who allow the hand of God in this moment to break that carnal nature so they can be conformed into the glorious image of Christ. Jesus said the first step on your road to happiness is for you to be broken in your spirit toward me. Are you broken in your spirit toward the Lord? Or you've let the news, you've let circumstances, you've let pride, you've let self-reliance, you've let self-adjustment dictate and tell you what to do with your life. Listen, until you and I abandon our need to appear spiritual, we will never be spiritual. Many people, they go to church, and I can't wait for us to come back together, but they get obsessed with their appearance. But until you and I abandon our need to appear spiritual, we will never be spiritual. And if you can't believe that happiness comes to the humble, then friend, you cannot believe it comes to the proud. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's got grace for you today, and it's for those who are broken in spirit. Why is being broken in spirit the first step on the road to happiness? Because only when the vessel's broken can the contents be emptied. When you receive communion, remember the contents of the grape is the juice. But you don't get that juice until that grape is crushed. How is perfume made? Perfume is made when the petals of a flower are crushed. If the flower could speak to you, it'd say, how beautiful I am. But only until it's crushed, it's of no value. You know how an atomic bomb is made? It's when an atom is taken and crushed. An atom by itself is powerless. But if you can take that atom and crush it, you can destroy the world. Christians by themselves are powerless. But when you take your hand and you put it in the hand of God and you allow him to take your life in a moment like this and break it, you become like him and you've taken your first step on that road to happiness. Jesus is saying to you, to you, and every one of us watching, every one of you watching today, if you really want my life, then let me take your life, put it in my hands, and crush it, and make you like me. Jesus said, unless you can come and wash those feet, you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying, in effect, is let me take your life and just let me break it. Because broken people reach a broken world. And I want you to know today, friends, the thing that's fallen apart is not fallen apart. It's fallen right into place.